for our applicatory worship service this afternoon, in which we look for the application and practical significance of the gospel for our life. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. This is the third time I have preaching out of Ephesians 4 as applicatory on the occasion of the Lord's Supper. First time we looked at the first three verses, and then we looked at verses 11 through 13. Today we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. So let's read the first 16 verses. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and he gave some prophets, and he gave some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now this is the text we will consider. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. We read God's word that far. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we saw in the last sermon from this chapter, Jesus Christ, our Lord, ascended up into heaven and gave gifts unto men in the form of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors for the purpose of preaching and teaching in the congregations for this purpose of perfecting or equipping the saints for the work of ministry. So to apply that to myself and to you, Christ has given a pastor, and my purpose is to preach and teach the word of God to you saints so that you will be able to minister to one another, to do the work of ministry to one another, to help each other, to serve each other, to love each other, and to witness to your neighbors, so that the body of Christ will come in the unity of the faith unto a perfect man, a mature adult, a mature church. That's the goal of ministry. In the text that we are considering here today, the Apostle Paul expands on that theme, and he really describes 
what a mature and healthy church looks like. That's how we can summarize what is going on in our text, verses 14, 15, and 16. He teaches here that the goal of ministry is that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the cunning craftiness of men who are waiting to deceive, but that speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Christ, who is the head in all things. So that from Christ, the whole body which is fitly joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the specific measure given to each member, might grow and might edify itself in love. That's the goal of the Lord Jesus Christ when he gives pastors and teachers to the church to equip the saints to minister to each other, to bring the gospel to each other. And that's what a healthy and mature Christian church looks like. That's the beautiful ideal, which is the spiritual goal of my ministry here among you in the Wingham Protestant Reformed Church. So let's consider the text with that in mind under the theme describing a mature church. First of all, growing up in Christ. Secondly, speaking the truth in love. And thirdly, edifying of itself in love. The goal of Jesus Christ in giving pastors and teachers to the church and the goal of Jesus Christ in the saints ministering to each other in the church is that we will no longer be spiritual children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but we will grow up into spiritual adults. First of all, then, the goal is that we will no longer be spiritual children. As you can imagine, a church that is full of spiritual babies is not a mature church. That was true of the church in Corinth. The Apostle Paul had to write to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. They were babies in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20, he said to the same church, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit, in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. The goal of the Lord Jesus is that we will not be children in understanding, but that we will be men and women, mature adults. Now we know that the Lord Jesus often teaches us to be like children. He tells us we have to be humble like this little child. We have to have faith like a little child. We have to trust in God with a childlike faith. But at the same time, the scriptures teach us we must not be like children in other respects. We must not be children when it comes to understanding. Think of a little child who is not yet able to swim. Toss that little child into Lake Huron, not in the midst of a raging storm, but just at a time when there is a good amount of waves. Toss that little child who can't swim into the lake, and what is going to happen? Exactly what the apostle says in the text. That child will be tossed to and fro by the waves of the lake and will not be steady and sure because he or she is not able to swim. Think of a little toddler, one or two years old, and just learning how to walk, unsteady on his or her feet. What's going to happen to that child if they go outside in the midst of a strong windstorm and the wind is blowing the trees and the leaves? That little child is going to be carried about by the strong wind because children are still young and tender They are still unstable on their feet. So the apostle says in the text, 
We must not be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. In the spiritual sense, we must not be children who are tossed to and fro in the sea of ideas, who are blown about and carried around by every wind of doctrine that blows through the church, that blows through our homes, that blows through the newspaper and through other media. We must not be so easily moved about here and there so that, like a little child, we're able to be easily persuaded by this idea or that idea so that at one time we believe this and at another time we believe that. At one time we have this opinion and then we have that opinion and we're constantly fluctuating, constantly changing, not sure, not stable in our faith and in our convictions There are always winds of doctrine that are blowing. At all times throughout history, winds of doctrine refer to the different trends that move through the church and through society, the different worldviews, the different philosophies, the changes, the revolutions in thought, every supposedly new insight and new theological development so that a person wavers back and forth, back and forth. The apostle says, God gives pastors and teachers to the church so that we will not be like little children in that regard. Little children are very vulnerable. They are susceptible to danger. That's true even in natural life, but also in spiritual life. If you get a little child and pull them away from the church and pull them away from their parents, you can persuade that child to probably believe just about anything if they haven't been taught and if God is not gracious. Children are vulnerable to being deceived by spiritual wolves. The Apostle Paul had spoken to the elders of this very church in Ephesus prior to the time he wrote this letter. We find that in Acts chapter 20, In verses 29 and 30, the apostles said face to face to the elders of the church at Ephesus, I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Have you ever watched wolves? Have you ever seen how wolves operate? We watched something about white wolves recently, and we saw the wolves, predators, going after their prey. In this case, they were trying to catch geese and ducks. And like all predators, the wolves did not go after the adults, but the wolves went after the babies. Because wolves, like all predators, know that the young, tender, weak children are much easier to catch and to devour. So the apostle warned them of these wolves. And now he warns them not to be children tossed about and carried around with every wind of doctrine. There are always wolves about. He describes them in the text, verse 14, the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He's describing there a spiritual wolf. He's describing a man who is deliberately, consciously using cunning, using craftiness of thought and speech in order to deceive people. He is deliberately trying to draw away disciples after himself. He's trying to draw them away from Christ and away from the church and away from the truth to himself. He wants people to follow himself. And he goes after the weak and the vulnerable. That's the idea of those words in the text, by the slate of men. That is, by craftiness, by deception. The word in the original Greek refers to the dice players in the Greek world. As they played their dice games, 
They would often use tricks and deception to try to cheat their way and to win in the game. Cunning, craftiness, deception. And the text makes clear, especially in the original, but also in the translation, this is intentional. This is deliberate. They are lying in wait like a wolf, ready to pounce and to devour, to deceive, and to lead astray. They have their schemes. They have their strategies. They use their skills. It's very important that we understand that is the description of a wolf spiritually. The Apostle Paul does not mean in the text to make us all suspicious of every pastor or every teacher who stands in our pulpit. The Apostle is not intending for us to be suspicious every time a pastor or teacher of good standing in the church makes a mistake. Or, whenever there is found some degree of error in his teaching and in his preaching. As if, as soon as that happens, we are to be automatically suspicious that that man is a wolf, that that man is deliberately, consciously trying to deceive us and lead us astray, that that man wants to devour us. Some people are suspicious like that. But making mistakes is not the evidence of being a wolf. There are even apostles who made mistakes. Peter made mistakes. Peter was in Antioch and had to be rebuked by the apostle Paul. Peter, an apostle, was preaching and teaching things that weren't right and he had to be corrected. That didn't make him a wolf. But the Apostle is warning us in the text to beware of wolves. We must not be children who are tossed about, easily deceived, easily persuaded, and led astray. We must not be that way. Rather, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us true pastors and teachers who know the truth, who love the truth, in order to teach us the truth so that we might grow up in him. That's what a mature church looks like, verse 15. That we be henceforth no more children, that's verse 14. But, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. A mature church is a church full of believers who are growing up into Christ, our head. And because we are growing up into Christ, we therefore are not easily tossed to and fro, but we steer a straight course through the sea, even in the midst of raging sea, even in the midst of waves and howling winds. We are not carried about in every direction, but we are firm, standing firm, even when the winds of false doctrine are blowing. How do we grow up like that? How do we grow up into Christ, our head? The Apostle Paul is making that clear in this whole section when he says that Christ ascended into heaven and gave gifts unto men in the form of pastors so that we will not be tossed about like children, but we will grow up into Christ. We grow up into Christ when there are pastors who preach Christ. When there are pastors who proclaim to us regularly and constantly from the scriptures Christ. When Christ is held up before us, when Christ is preached to us, as the one who so loved us that he gave himself for us on that cross, that he shed his blood for us on the cross in order to wipe away all of our sins, in order to earn perfect righteousness for us. That's when we grow up. When we have pastors 
who preached to us that although we are wretched sinners who deserve to perish forever for our sins, God has given Christ to the death of the cross so that we would not perish, but that we would have everlasting life. When the love of Christ is preached, the righteousness of Christ, and the salvation of Christ through his cross, that's when we grow up. We grow up when Christ is preached to us as the one who rose from the dead on the third day after his death. Who rose from the dead as the conqueror over death and the grave. As the one who has righteousness and life for all of his people. When we hear Christ preached as the one who was exalted by God on the clouds of glory, taken up far above all principality and power and dominion and every name that is named, and sat down at the right hand of God. When we hear that Christ rules over all of the universe with a rod of iron over the wicked and with a hand of grace toward his people, working all things together for good to his church, that's when we grow up and become a mature church. When we hear that regular preaching of the gospel of Christ, of who Christ is, of what Christ did, and of the call of Christ to come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we hear that regular call of Christ, believe in the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sins. Come to Christ. Trust in Christ. Christ gives us pastors to preach that gospel to us, to equip the saints so that we minister that gospel to each other. And when that is going on, the church is growing into a mature church. The regular and faithful ministry of the gospel of Christ from the scriptures, which sets forth all of the riches of Christ crucified and risen from the dead, and the call to faith and repentance and obedience causes us to grow up. That causes us to grow up spiritually. That causes us to grow up from being tender, impressionable children, unstable and unsure on our feet, to being spiritually mature adults who know what we believe and why we believe it. Through the study of the Scriptures and the preaching of the Scriptures, through Bible study and catechism, through mutual encouragement of the saints. It's that ministry of the gospel that causes us to grow up into people whose faith is fixed on Christ, constantly fixed on Christ, as our righteousness and our salvation, our hope and our joy. It's the ministry of the gospel that causes us to grow up into people whose goal in all areas of our life is to follow Christ, whose goal in all areas of life is centered on Christ, whose marriage is centered on Christ, whose family is centered on Christ, who raise their children to look to Christ, whose life in the church is focused on Christ, who when they go out into the world, they show themselves to be followers of Christ and believers in Christ. When they are in the hospital bed in affliction and sickness and disease laid up on their backs, they look up to Christ and they rest in Christ. They find all of their comfort and life and death in Christ. In the midst of the storms of life, when everything goes wrong in our lives, when relationships are broken, when churches divide, when re- friendships are lost, we rejoice in Christ. We hold on to Christ more than all of the pleasures and things of this life. That's when we're growing up. When our ambitions in life, our hopes and dreams in life, for our career, for our earthly life, is ruled by Christ, guided by Christ. When we do not boast in anything in ourselves, But when we love to sing out at the top of our lungs, I will not boast in anything but in Christ 
and in the cross of Christ. When we come to church loving to worship God in Christ for the sake of Christ, the ministry of the gospel that teaches Christ causes us to grow up into Christ, our head. That's what a mature church looks like. A church focused on Christ in all of life. That's what the apostle says. But may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. In all aspects of our lives, we're growing, growing up, becoming adults in Christ, by faith in Christ. And that means, too, that we have hope that after this life, when we die, our hope is to be with Christ, which will be far better. And our hope for the world is the coming of Christ and the creation of a new heavens and a new earth where we will dwell with Christ for all eternity. That growth into Christ and becoming spiritual adults, the growth itself comes from Christ. The apostle teaches that Christ gives pastors that we may no longer be children, but that we may grow up into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined together. From whom? From Christ. All of the life of the body comes from Christ. All of the spiritual energies that we need to grow up come from Christ. None of it comes from us. We don't cause ourselves to grow up spiritually. Christ pours out those spiritual graces through the ministry of the gospel. And it's through the power of Christ that we grow up into Christ, who is the head of the body. Christ is the only head of the body. The Pope is not the head. The pastor is not the head. The elders are not the head. There is no hierarchy in the church of Jesus Christ that is the head. Christ and Christ alone is the head. And all of the spiritual graces flow from him through pastors, through saints, so that we grow up. And therefore, the mature church is made up of people who are not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together on the Lord's Day. It's made up of people who are diligently coming to the house of God on the Lord's Day, hungering and thirsting to hear the gospel of Christ again. And who, depending on that lifeline that Christ gives to us, coming Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, feeding, eating, drinking. They're growing in Christ. The apostle teaches that this growing up in Christ takes place in the way of speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Now that stands in stark contrast to what he just said when he warned us about the wolves who speak lies to deceive us and they speak those lies in love for no one but themselves. Men who are trying to draw disciples after themselves away from Christ and his church after themselves, they don't love anyone but themselves. And in contrast to that, the apostle says, We grow up in Christ when we speak the truth in love. That is, when there are true pastors, faithful pastors, who clearly and forthrightly preach the truth in love for Christ and for his church. And when the saints are speaking the truth in love to one another, that's when the church is growing That's a sign that you have a mature church that is growing up into Christ. And so we can see that there is no growth in Christ 
when wolves are allowed to infiltrate the church, wolves who speak lies everywhere in the church, but do so with a smiling face, as if they love everybody. Do so with a smiling face, as if they really care. There is no growth in Christ either. When there are men who are speaking the truth everywhere in the church, always speaking the truth, nothing but the truth, all the truth, but with a scowl on their face and with anger in their tone, as if they really hate the people in front of them. There's not going to be growth in Christ when either of those is prevalent in the church. In our history as a denomination, Protestant Reformed churches, we haven't done so good at this. We haven't been so good at speaking the truth in love. And there have been errors on both sides, speaking the truth in hatred and speaking lies, supposedly in love. But more often than not, the failure has been a supposed zeal to speak the truth, but not in love. The opinion has prevailed in the Protestant Reformed churches for many decades, perhaps even from our very beginning, that since the truth is above all, Belgic Confession, Article 7, the truth is above all, because that's true, it doesn't matter how we speak that truth as long as we speak the truth. That's been the opinion I'm afraid, that has prevailed for a very long time. And I'm afraid that that opinion, which has prevailed, has even contributed to our recent split as churches. A failure to speak the truth in love. The opinion goes like this. The truth is above all. The truth is the most important thing. There is nothing more important than the truth and speaking the truth. And since that is true, it doesn't matter how you speak that truth. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that you speak the truth. The truth. Always, only the truth. That's true, of course. We must always speak the truth. But what is not true is to say that the only thing that matters is speaking the truth and that it doesn't matter how you speak the truth. The opinion even goes further and says, actually a healthy and mature church is a church in which they're always speaking the truth no matter how they speak it. In fact, it's better to speak the truth with a scowl on your face and with anger in your eyes, and with a flame of fire, and with accusations and damnation flowing out of your mouth towards everyone who doesn't agree with you, towards everyone who doesn't see things exactly the way you see it, or say things exactly the way you say it, preaching full of lots of shouting and the sharpest and most cutting words that you can imagine. That's the best preaching. That's a healthy church. That's a mature church. That's how it goes. After all, the word of God is a a sword, and a sword cuts, and a sword pierces, and a sword kills, and therefore we need speaking and preaching that kill. The opinion develops into this, that since everyone must speak the truth They must speak the truth precisely and purely and without a single mistake. There mustn't ever be a single mistake in the preaching that goes forth. This is the opinion that has prevailed. The idea that as soon as a minister says one thing that is wrong, or I don't agree with the way he preaches the truth, and I think that he's not preaching the truth at all, then 
that minister ought to be disciplined in the most severe way. He must be viewed as a wolf, even if he wasn't intending to deceive. Even if he was not conscious at all, trying to draw disciples after himself, but was trying to preach the truth, but wasn't able to do it in exactly the most accurate way. As soon as he makes a mistake, he must be deposed. This is the opinion that holds up those ministers who shout, who accuse, and who damn everyone who views things differently than themselves as the best ministers. What we need to see as a denomination today is that that is also a kind of cunning craftiness that lies in wait to deceive. That opinion, that speaking the truth, is the only thing that matters, is also a kind of cunning craftiness that lies in wait to deceive. That kind of speaking does not lead to a healthy, mature church that is growing up into Christ. Actually, just the opposite. That leads to division. That was what was happening in the church at Corinth, where the Apostle Paul wrote to them and said, I can't write to you as spiritual. I have to write unto you as babes in Christ, because all you do is fight. All you do is condemn each other. Everybody stands up and says, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. And you're all biting and destroying each other. Your babies, your spiritual babies. That's what the church looks like when that opinion prevails. Because you see, when that opinion prevails, then we start to think that we are the ones who have the best way of explaining the truth. And anyone who explains that same truth differently is wrong. There's only one truth. It's not that you have your truth and I have my truth. No, there's only one truth. But there are many pastors and many teachers and many professors who all state and explain that truth in their own way, according to their own understanding. And we don't all say it exactly with the same words. Some emphasizes one thing. Some emphasizes something else. But if we have the mentality that the only thing that matters is to speak the truth, it doesn't matter how you speak it, then we're, start, then we're going to have that mentality too. That this minister is the one I agree with. I follow him. The church begins to splinter. The church begins to turn into a factious place. And there isn't growth in Christ. The Apostle Paul knew this. He had dealt with the church at Corinth. He didn't want to see that happen in Ephesus. He's telling them in this positive instruction of the text, God gives pastors to the church to bring the true gospel of Christ so that we will not be children tossed about, but we will grow up into Christ speaking the truth in love. That's the way. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? For me, as a pastor, speaking the truth means that when I come into this pulpit to the very best of my ability and through prayer and study, preach to you nothing but the truth. The truth of God's word, the truth of the scriptures, the truth as understood by the church of all ages, as set down in the creeds and confessions of the church, I bring that truth. I don't bring Dan Halsteg's opinions, his ideas and special insights. I am called to speak the truth. And for you as saints, in the Bible study, in the catechism class, in your conversations with one another, in fellowship in each other's homes, and whenever we're talking about the issues of the day and the truths of the Bible, we speak the truth to each other. But we speak the truth in love. That doesn't only mean that we speak the truth in love for the God whose truth that is. 
That's true. That's part of it. That's the most important thing, really. That you speak the truth in love for God. But if you leave it there, then you can still have this pious mentality that the only thing that matters is speaking the truth. No, it's speaking the truth in love for God and the neighbor. And the brother. And the sister. And the church. Speaking the truth in love means that you speak the truth in a loving manner. With gentleness. With meekness. With humility. Sometimes we do need to be sharp. Sometimes we need to be angry against sin. But the general calling of preachers and saints is to speak the truth in a loving manner. With gentleness. With meekness. And we make sure that when we're speaking the truth to one another, we make sure in the words that we choose and in the tone of voice that we use, that we make sure they know, I don't think I'm better than you. I don't consider you below me. I don't consider you my enemy. I don't consider you a wolf in sheep's clothing. I consider you a brother, a sister, a confessing member of this church in good standing. I love you, brother, and I'm going to speak the truth to you in my love for you. You know, I've always thought, or I've often thought, that there's an irony in that opinion that has prevailed in the churches in which I grew up. There's an irony in that opinion that the only thing that matters is to speak the truth. The irony is this. Part of that truth that we claim to love so much, part of that truth is the calling to love each other. It's part of that truth that we claim to love so much. Often we have held up this idea of the truth as if it is some abstract idea from the scriptures, these concepts that we have to have in the right order. That's true. It is. But part of that body of truth, that Christian truth, is love one another as God loved you. Isn't that ironic? Oh, we've known that in the Protestant Reformed churches. We've known that, and we've, we've tried to explain that away as well. Well, you see, when you shout at someone and tell them the truth, that is love. That's what we've said. That is love. There's a need, as I said, for sharp words at times. There's a need even for righteous anger at times. Speaking the truth in love means that we speak in a loving manner. We saw this morning that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How does God speak to us the truth? God speaks to us in love, warmly and lovingly and gently and tenderly. He tells us of his love. And that's how we are to speak to one another in the church as well. Speaking the truth in love. That means, too, beloved, that when we speak the truth to one another, we give each other the judgment of love, the judgment of charity. In 1 Corinthians 13, in that same epistle to the, the baby church of Corinth, the apostle tells them about love as the greatest, the greatest thing. What is love? When the apostle goes on to start describing love in that beautiful chapter, one of the things he says about love is, love rejoices not in the iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. And that shows us something about love. Love doesn't tolerate sin. That's not love. Doesn't tolerate sin. Love doesn't tolerate lies and heresies in the church. Love doesn't tolerate the wolves 
as if that's love. No. When there are heretics and wolves, they must be deposed if they are office bearers. That's love for God and love for the church, love for the sheep, to expel the false teachers. And if there are pastors who are not necessarily wolves, but they have become sloppy in their ministry, they have become unclear in their teaching, they have become confusing in the sermons they preach, they must also be dealt with. They must be corrected. They must be shown their errors, pointed in the right way. Love doesn't tolerate lies and sin. Love rejoices in the truth. But, he goes on to say, Love believeth all things, hopeth all things, beareth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth. That is, love means that you don't become suspicious of one another. Not suspicious. Every time there is something that doesn't seem quite right. There are alarms that we sometimes have to take note of and we may have to follow up on. Sometimes we must follow up on those things. But generally, our attitude must be the judgment of charity towards one another. That's speaking the truth in love. That's the way in which the church grows up into Christ and becomes a mature church. The gospel is being preached. All the riches of Christ are being proclaimed. And the saints are speaking to one another the truth in love. The blessed result is that the church edifies itself in love. The Apostle says in verse 16 that from Christ the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's a beautiful picture. It's a little bit difficult to unravel exactly what he's saying there. But if you study the Greek and you ponder it, you see the picture. The picture emerges. He's painting before us the picture of a body, a human body. A body has a head and shoulders, arms, hands, torso and waist, the legs and the feet. And that whole body is fitly joined and compacted together by all of these joints. There's the neck and the shoulders and the elbows and wrists, the knees down to the feet, the hips. All of these joints connect all of the parts of the body. And every single part and every single joint has a very important role to play. Every joint is supplying something. Without certain joints, we can't do certain things. Every joint is necessary. Every part. That's a picture of the church. Christ is that head from whom all of the spiritual energies flow to us. We are the members. We are the shoulders and the elbows and the fingers and the hips and the knees and the legs and feet. We are those members. And the blessed result and the picture of a mature church is when all of those different parts are each supplying their gifts in love for one another. Everyone has a unique role and a unique gift. The Apostle speaks of the effectual working in the measure of every part. So there's every joint supplying something, and each of those joints or parts is given a specific measure of strength, of ability, of capacity, of gifts. And when we are contributing that measure of our giftedness into the body, what a beautiful picture it is. Not a picture of constant fighting and bickering and destroying one another, but a picture of growth all together as one. So that the body actually makes increase of itself and edifies itself 
in love. There's edification of the body from Christ through the members to the other members. There's edification. That growth means that we're growing in faith. Our faith is growing. We're growing in hope. We're growing in joy. We're growing in worship and our longing to worship, to sing, to pray, to serve God and to serve each other, to give of our offerings, to love each other, to sacrifice ourselves, to forgive each other, to reconcile with brothers. We're growing in all of those things. We're shining more and more brightly as lights in the world. That's what happens in the mature church. There's an edification in love. Isn't that beautiful? There's an increase in love. So that in the church where there is love, there will be more love. And there will be more love. And greater love. Because that church knows the love of Christ. The love of Christ flows from the head to all those members and they increase in love. That's the mature church. May the Lord work mightily that we might be such a church and that we might grow. Amen. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We pray that it might work mightily in us. Pray that thou would use the preaching of thy word for the edification of the body here in our congregation. Grant unto us, Father, the forgiveness of our sins when we have spoken the truth but not in love or when we have spoken lies or errors. Forgive us and build us up in the truth and in love in faith and hope until that great day